Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. It is night. You are sitting in a forest, sunken deep into a camp chair, surrounded by damp redwood trees. It's a little cool, so here, take this flannel blanket. Feel the warmth of this permitted and 100% legal campfire. Tonight, we have gathered to hear three ghost stories, some of them centuries old, and all of them from right here in the Bay Area. Some of the spirits we'll get to know tonight are friendly, here to guide us. Some are consumed by their own tragedies and carry on as if no time has passed. And some might just be here to scare us. I'm Olivia Allen Price, and, and this, this is, is Boo Curious. Curious. <laughs> Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks. All right. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We've got three stories for you this evening from three different storytellers. And along the way, we'll also get to know some ghost hunting terminology. First up is Wes Leslie. He's one of the co-founders of The Haunt Ghost Tours, and his tale casts us back to the 1860s. So one of the most haunted areas in early San Francisco was Kearney Street through the financial district in Chinatown today. It was pretty common to encounter a poltergeist in that area that was simply known as the Kearney Street Ghost. As you'd be walking to work one early morning, you might hear kind of a a whisper and turn around and see that there was nobody there. Suddenly your hat might fly off your head even though there was no wind to be felt. You might reach for your wallet thinking it's going to be in one pocket and you find it in a different pocket. And everyone simply said that must have been the Kearney Street ghost. And one day, the newspaper receives an envelope from an old man named Albert Crumb. 
He writes in a letter that says, I believe the Kearney Street ghost lives at my house. Come speak with me. And so the newspaper sends over a journalist to sit down and speak with Albert Crumb and, and hear his experiences with the Kearney Street ghost. Now, there's a lot of versions of what happens from here, but here's what I've been told. Albert reports that he cannot keep a maid working for him for more than one night. On the maid's first day, he'll just show her around the house. She'll do some light dusting. And then she'll go up to the maid's quarters, close the door, get into bed, and turn out the lantern. And as soon as the light is gone, the ghost appears. Out of the darkest corner of the room, this kind of tall, shadowy figure steps out of the darkness and starts walking towards the maid slowly, picking up anything it can find on the ground and throwing it at her, shoes, skirts, anything to scare the maid. At this point, the maid will generally start screaming, and old Albert Crumb comes walking up the creaky stairs to the maid's quarters. He slowly opens the door and shines in the lantern. And as soon as the light appears, the ghost is gone. The maid is soon gone as well. This happens maid after maid until a poor young maid named Bridget has her first day working for Albert Crumb. At the end of the day, she goes up to the maid's quarters, closes the door, gets into bed, and turns out the lantern. But she does not have the same inclination as every maid before her, because as the ghost steps out and starts walking towards her, Bridget finds herself paralyzed and unable to move or make a sound. And so the ghost starts throwing things at her, feeling no reason to stop walking, but the ghost walks all the way up to the edge of Bridget's bed and sits down. She could feel this weight sink in next to her. And suddenly it starts convulsing a bit, letting out this deep groaning sound. And reaches down through its mouth into its stomach and pulls out this sticky, damp object and places it on the pillow next to her. And again, letting out this groan and reaching down again inside of its stomach to pull out something and sets it on her pillow. The ghost does this nine times in total. And then finally, relieved of its burden, the ghost stands up and lets out a sigh of relief before walking back into the darkest corner to never be seen again. The spell then broken, Bridget snaps out of it and starts screaming. Albert Crumb hears this downstairs, thinks, here we go again. He comes walking upstairs with lantern in hand, opens the door, but this time, instead of just finding his maid there, what Bridget and Albert see at the same time is what the ghost has left behind on her pillow. What they see are nine dead, fluffy white kittens, each one with a bloody handprint left on their snowy fur. That was Wes Leslie. You can hear more stories like that if you head out with the Haunt Ghost Tours. Stick around at the end of the episode for details. The Kearney Street ghost definitely seems like a sinister ghost. He gets some kind of kick out of messing with us mortals. Wes described him as a poltergeist, which is a ghost responsible for physical disturbances. Things thrown through the air, doors slamming, that kind of stuff. Now, ghost hunters say that not all ghosts are here to harm us, though, and not all of them interact with the physical world. In this next story, we'll meet a ghost who's so absorbed in their own tragedy that nothing else matters. Telling the story is Tommy Netsband, founder of the Haunted Hate Walking Tour and of the San Francisco Ghost Society. There is a very famous story 
that's been told in San Francisco over 100 years. And it's simply known as the woman or the lady of Stowe Lake. The legend goes that in the Victorian era, there was a young woman who actually was at the lake with her baby. And the baby was in a stroller or a pram, you know, and uh, she was talking to her friend and she turned away from the stroller and it ended up going into the lake. She went after the baby to save it and both of them drowned. Now, if you go to Stowe Lake at night, people claim that you will see a woman floating above the lake or on the side of the lake, searching. She's always described the same way, in a white dress with long hair and glowing. When I heard this story, of course I thought, this has to be an urban legend. There's just no way. Then I discovered an article that was in the newspaper that describes this same woman of Stowe Lake. And according to the article, there were two couples riding in, well, what they like to describe, the moving mechanism, which was the automobile. And they were pulled over in Golden Gate Park for speeding. And they say, well, officer, officer, we just saw a ghost. And lo and behold, they describe the same woman of Stowe Lake. She had robes of white to the floor, officer, and long hair and shining. So why is it after 100 years that this tale's been told? It's never changed. She's always described the same. Probably a few years ago, gentleman had moved here from Oklahoma and he had called me and said, hey, I saw a ghost over on Fulton and 10th, which is the entrance that you would take to go to the Stowe Lake. Well, she had a long white dress with long hair, and weirdly, she was kind of glowing. It really made me quite uh, impressed to hear that because, once again, here's a story that's 100 years old, and people are still telling you the same story. Is she eternally stuck at the lake to find her baby? Is it just place memory? You know, is it just, you know, that last moment of her life? Where's my baby? Where's my baby? is just playing itself in Golden Gate Park. That was Tommy Netsband with a tale that you might hear on one of his haunted hate walking tours. Stick around for more details at the end of this episode. The Lady at Stowe Lake might seem like a familiar tale, even if you've never heard it before. There is a ghostly, wailing woman who shows up in folklore throughout Latin America. We'll be taking a closer look at that legend and how it's expressed in the Bay Area in an upcoming Bay Curious episode. Our final story of the night is a first-hand account of a ghost not meant to scare, not reliving a trauma. It's the kind of ghost story that you might wish to experience yourself. The story starts in a graveyard not too long ago. Here's storyteller J.P. Frary. Some of the tombstones were large and ornate. Some had biblical sayings on them. Some, just the name and the date of death. You could tell which ones were for children's graves before you read them because they always had angels or doves on them. 
We had to read each tombstone, which was easy with the big ones. But most were just flat, square markers that didn't even stick up above the level of the grass. Poor people. You had to be right on top of it to read who was buried there. The caretaker of the cemetery in Colma could only point to this general area the size of a football field where my dad's mother was buried. I have a hard time calling her my grandmother because she died when my dad was only six years old, so I never knew her. I've never even seen a picture of her. Truthfully, my dad barely remembers her, and lately he has taken to saying that he can't even remember the sound of her voice. And he is still mad, 70 years later, that they didn't let him go to her funeral because they thought he was too young to see his mother lowered into the ground. When he talks about his mother, it is the only time I ever see him that sad. So that's why we're reading Tombstones on a very foggy day in Colma to give a 76-year-old man some closure. We had picked up flowers on the way, and I was carrying them as we crisscrossed back and forth through the rows. We were being careful not to walk on actual graves. The grass was wet from the fog, which was bordering on a drizzle. And after over an hour, we were only about a quarter of the way through the first section of graves. My feet were wet. And at this point, I was no longer reading the biblical quotes, and I was no longer feeling sad when I saw a child's grave. I was just looking for the word lily. My dad's mother's name was Lily. I looked up the hill through all the rows of gravestones to see how much farther we had to go, and I saw a woman at the top of the hill sitting on a bench. She was at least 75 yards away, but I could tell she wasn't wearing a coat, which given this heavy fog seemed very weird. We went through a few more rows, and my dad had started to run his hand over the bigger grave markers as he walked by, a gentle sweep of his fingers like he was brushing the hair out of someone's eyes. I looked up now, and the woman at the top of the hill, she was standing up in front of the bench. She had on a long white dress that was moving in the wind, and she seemed to be looking right at us, but through the fog it was hard to tell. My dad was keeping his head down and reading each grave carefully, and it looked like he was crying. So I reached for his arm, and when he looked up, he was so sad. I said, Dad, Dad, why don't we come back on a sunny day? But he shook his head and asked, can we just do a few more rows? I gave him a big hug, and I told him we could stay all day if he wanted. And as I was hugging him, I looked up the hill. The woman was gone. I looked around, and our car was the only one in the parking lot. I didn't see the woman anywhere. She would have to walk right by us to leave. So I said, hey, Dad, why don't we walk up to the top and work our way down? And while we walked up the road next to the graves, I kept looking for the woman. We got to the top, and my dad immediately started reading the graves in the first row. And most of the headstones up there were the flat kind, and you had to go slowly to read each one. So I said, hey, uh, I'm going to go to the end where that bench is, and I'll work my way back to you. I passed at least 50 graves as I made my way to the bench. I wasn't even looking at the names on the big tombstones anymore. I was just looking for the woman in the white dress. There were two scrub oak trees next to the bench, and I half expected her to be hiding behind one, but there was no one there. I sat on the bench, and it overlooked the whole cemetery. There was no one there but my dad and me. The bench was wet, and I could feel it seeping through my jeans. So I started to get up, and that's when I saw her grave, right in front of the bench 
was one of the flat square gravestones, and it just said, Lily Frary. Dad! Dad, it's over here! Grandma's over here! And my dad hustled over, and he was crying as he touched the marker, and he ran his fingers over her chiseled name. But his face didn't look sad anymore. He looked more peaceful and relieved, even though he was still crying. We placed the flowers on her stone, and my dad reached into his coat pocket and said, this is the only photo I have of my mom. It was a grainy picture of a woman in a long white dress, a photo I had never seen before. That was storyteller J.P. Frary. Before we put this campfire out for good, I want to offer a huge thanks to our three storytellers this evening. Let's bring them back to introduce themselves. This is Wes Leslie with The Haunt Ghost Tours. We would love to see you out sometime. If you want to learn more about our tours, we are at thehauntghosttours.com. Oh, my name is Tommy Netsband, and I am the founder of the San Francisco Ghost Society, and I also run the Haunted Hate Walking Tour. If you'd like to see the other side of the Hate Ashbury, come on out to the Haunted Hate Walking Tour. Hauntedhate.com. Hi, I'm J.P. Frary. I design and build furniture in a shop on the old Naval Air Station in Alameda. I specialize in making beautiful things out of recycled materials. You can hear my stories in lumberyards and hardware stores throughout the Bay Area. Having an encounter with a ghost is a thrilling, spine-tingling experience. I would know because I'm pretty sure I saw one. If you want to read that story and others that we heard while researching this episode, sign up for the Bay Curious newsletter. The place to do it is baycurious.org newsletter. We'll put a link in our show notes, too. This episode of Boo Curious was made by Katrina Schwartz, Carly Severn, Sebastian Mignobicelli, and me, Olivia Allen Price. The sound design is the creation of our rock star engineer, Brendan Willard. Thank you, Brendan. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at member-supported KQED. And with that, let's put this campfire out for good. Have a wonderful Halloween. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfettah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.